Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well today. So we have been home for two weeks now and it feels great to recharge the batteries and get ready for the fall. We're starting to announce some dates and that feels really good, but in the meantime, it's nice to be a bit more relaxed here at home in St. Louis. Cooking dinners, coaching the kids' sports teams and getting things done around the house. Uh, it's good to catch up. As tough as it was being stuck at home all of last year, it was great to get back out on the road, but this is the longest we've been home now since April, and uh, and it feels great. I am so honored to have Bob Crawford on the show with me today. Bob is the bassist and a founding member of the Grammy-nominated Avit Brothers. I've been listening to them a lot these last couple weeks, and I'm kind of wishing I would have gotten into it earlier, because it is such good stuff. With the Avid's roots firmly entrenched in Americana, you might not equate them to the dead, but Bob is a huge fan, and they've had the opportunity to collaborate with Bob Weir many times over the years. Also joining me today is Mark Diomede of the Juggling Sons Project out of New Jersey. Uh, He actually spends a lot of time playing with my bass player Skip from DSO as well, so we're going to hear about that. So as always, I'm so glad you're here, and before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There is the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month. With a subscription, you can get exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road and home, community hang time with me, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out all about this and much, much more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. 
And wherever you're listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. So let's get right to it. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store. Brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor The Meters. The Meters formed in 1965 with a lineup of keyboardist and vocalist Art Neville, guitarist Leo Nocentelli, and what is perhaps my all-time favorite rhythm section of bassist George Porter Jr. and drummer Zigaboo Modaliste. They were later joined by percussionist Cyril Neville, and their trademark sound blends funk, blues, and dance grooves with that second-line New Orleans vibe. The band performed and recorded their own music from the late 1960s until 1977 and played an influential role as backing musicians for other artists, including Paul McCartney, Robert Palmer, Dr. John, and Alan Toussaint, and became the house band for Toussaint's record label, Sansu Enterprises. The Rolling Stones were so smitten with them that they invited them to open on their American and European tours in 1975 and 76. While they rarely enjoyed significant mainstream success, they were considered originators and their sound provided the basis for much of the funk and hip-hop music of the 80s and 90s, along with artists like James Brown. They released numerous albums including Fire on the Bio and 1974's Rejuvenation, which included well-known tunes such as People Say, Just Kissed My Baby, and the one we'll hear today, Hey Pocky Way. Although the lineup varied over the years, the band continued to perform all the way up to Art Neville's death in 2019 sometimes as the Funky Meters, and also as a short-lived group known as the Meter Men, featuring Paige McConnell with Fish on keyboards. They hit the R&B charts often and had numerous top 40 hits, with Sissy Strutt possibly being the biggest. Now, the Meters had many songs that were instrumental, so you might not know them by name, but you would go, oh yeah, I know that song. They received many awards over the years, and in 2018 were presented with the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. The Dead debuted Hey Pocky Way in September of 1987, and it was the perfect vehicle for Brent Midland's soulful, raspy voice. They played it up until his death in 1990, usually in the first set and often as a happy feel-good show opener. The Grateful Dead's take on it was a little quicker than the greasy tempo and feel of the meters. It was uh, actually more like the later Neville Brothers version. Uh, But with Art Neville involved in both projects, they both have that funky second-line groove in New Orleans going on. So, here are the meters with the original 1974 recording of Hey Pocky Way.
Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a psychotherapist and intuitive clarity coach. Do you desire a life that is in alignment with your authentic self and purpose? For the past 12 years, I've been helping my one-on-one coaching clients do just that with my three-step clarity coaching program. If you are ready to gain clarity by claiming your path, increase your confidence by activating your inner powers, and take soul-led action to create a life that is in alignment with your purpose and passions, then book a free 30-minute clarity call with me. You'll find the link on the sponsor page of the musicplaystheband.net and on my website, yourclarity.coach. I'm looking forward to supporting you on your journey. For today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we head to New Jersey to talk with guitarist Mark Diomede, a longtime fixture on the Jersey Shore dead scene. So I am here today with Mark Diomede, who I am going to not put a name on a project because we got a lot of irons in the fire. But Mark is up in the New Jersey area. Hello and welcome. Thanks for being here. How you doing, Rob? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Now, I know you've got... uh, Let's go back a bit first, because you got you're you got you're, you're in a lot of different projects. You do a lot of different stuff. You've been around the New Jersey and New England scene for a long time, though, going back with the Juggling Sons and Solar Circus. So why don't we just start back there real quick? OK, uh, yeah, I, we were uh, Solar Circus was fortunate enough to um, to get signed with Relics Records. I guess it was in 1988. Um, we did probably three or four. CDs. We actually have a vinyl. Our first, our first record was vinyl. So um, we're not dating yeah. ourselves or anything. Though. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, I mean, just being with Relics was uh, it, the exposure was was phenomenal. Uh, just getting to do interviews in their in their magazine with uh, Les and Tony back in the day, you know. And uh, you know, uh, Solar Circus kind of ran its course uh, in the later years of Solar Circus. Uh, we, J- Jason Crosby, was playing the keyboards for us, and and you know, everybody in the Dead Scene knows what he's doing these days. It's just you know, um, but when that ran its course, uh, then I did some, uh, I did another recording with Juggling Sons was like a side project that I had at the time. Jerry had just passed away. And um, the Juggling Sons was like my tribute, Grateful Dead tribute band, where Solar Circus was more of um, more of an original music project. And, and uh, again, Les and Tony wanted to do something uh, in tribute to Jerry Passon. So we released a CD called uh, Doorway to the Angels back then. Uh, it was a year or so right after Jerry passed. We wound up, uh, we wound up doing a movie and we got in a, a small part in Runaway Bride and uh, with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. And, and, and uh, we got to Japan to play there and, you know, we did a bunch of tours and stuff. So, yeah, so that was like the, the older history of what happened. Juggling Sun survived for, geez, uh, I mean, it, it still actually exists, but I don't do a lot of stuff uh, under that name these days. And you're doing, I mean, but you're still doing all kinds of stuff these days. I know that. I mean, I know that you play. Well, first of all, how often are you playing now? I try and play as as much as humanly possible because, (laughs) you know, this is, this is, this is what I do. You know, I play every day. I mean, but I mean, I'm not gigging every day, but it depended on, you know, 
what the market's like. Uh, it, it's been great here on the Jersey Shore these past four or five years. It's a, I mean, you could go into any bar and, and that has a band playing and hear Grateful Dead music. It's almost like it's top forty now. It's it's just incredible, you know. That's awesome. And I know you're. Uh, I know during the pandemic you had a pretty steady gig with uh, with Skip, my, the bass player from Dark Star, and I think you even just played with him yesterday. Yes, yes, uh, Skip. Uh, so Skip lives out here on the Jersey Shore, with, and so uh, you know he showed up at one of the gigs, and and we started talking, and we should, you know, it turns out we have like a we have a lot of old friends, uh, mutual old friends, and just growing up in New Jersey and being musicians, and and so uh, you know we hit it off really well, and uh, you know I we, we did a lot of stuff with uh, Dan Donovan, who's put who. Uh, is in a band called Cosmic Jerry Band, and uh, I recently started doing a bunch of gigs with those guys also. So, yeah, it's just it's just been you know I think even Phil said it at one point that uh, it's like in the future there's going to be no bands. It's just everybody's going to speak the same language. You know, <laughs> it's 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 so true. You know, and we talk I've talked about that and touched on this before. You know, the the Grateful Dead's catalog now is is like jazz standards where. Yeah. yeah, I did it the other night. I played with some guys that I've never played with at a, a gig, though, at a club um, mm. where we can go up there, though. And it's it's like the, the dead catalog now is like the real book. You know, you can go up and say, these are the tunes we're playing and here, let's go. And, and if you're with the right group of musicians, yes, you can go up there and interpret those songs on the spot with people you've never played with before. Absolutely. You know, and, and like and anybody, any musician that really gets it, you know, it's just it's all about being in the moment and, uh, you know, having musical conversation on stage. The, the Grateful Dead's music just allows that just like jazz did, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's really a phenomenal genre. It's a genre in itself these days. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Then do you, you know, whether you're playing with your groups or you're playing with, uh, you know, one-offs with, with different people, do you take a specific approach? What is your specific approach to interpreting and performing the music? You know, for for me, it, it, my my approach it feels like it's evolved over the years, and and you got to just hope that if you're doing this all these years, that it's going to get better. You know, um, but yeah, hope so, right? But uh, you know, I mean, to me, the when 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 the music is is working the best, it's it's when you can hear everybody. Um, and everybody is working, is, is communicating on stage, being in the moment, um, you know, uh, that for the jams, you know, it's just like um, there, there's certain there's certain lines and, and riffs and stuff that that need to be there because they're you know, an integral part of the song. But once you go beyond that, um, it's really like, you know, how are we feeling tonight, guys? I, um, what, do, what do you have to say? How am I going to respond to that? And, and, and well, this is what I'm going to say and how, how they respond to what I do. So, you know, it, that that's the approach, you know, um, from from a, a jamming standpoint, from a lyrical standpoint, from a, from a, a vocal standpoint, uh, you know, it's just robert hunter's lyrics are just so amazing and and they tell such great stories and and everybody can relate to you know the content and and so it's like um 
Well, it's just one of the things that that Jerry taught me was just to to live the song and 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 you know where each syllable of each word becomes important, you know, kind right. of thing, you know, and just feeling it and experiencing it as if uh, you know you're you're that's that's what's happening right then, you know. Are are there certain tunes? And we're speaking lyrically again, so we're staying on that. Are there certain tunes that just What's the word? I want just pull, emotionally just grab you, pull at your heartstrings when you play them. Well, you know, I, I, as a spectator, I, I used to when I used to see the dead. I used to I used to dig the ballads, um, but um, you know the Jerry ballads were for, for me because you know I was always getting the the the, the, the that role in the bands that I was playing, um, but um, yeah, the, the the ballads because. They're just, they're so emotional. It comes a time. I mean, just those, those, you know, if you ever felt like you, 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 you fucked up in life or something, you know, it's like <laughs> you can sing that and it's almost like, you know, uh, for what, a penance or something, <laughs> you know, you can, you know, it's like, um, I, I love the, the Jerry ballads, you know, but, but again, you know, what, 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 with their stuff, it's like on depending on what you're going through in your life at the time, any song could really stand out. Like you know, uh, like like doing Liberty right now, and, and right. some people, you know, some people might feel like their uh, you know their social freedoms are disappearing, and, and uh, so you know that that one's got a lot of punch for me these days, you know, or. The, you know, I'm just going, I'm going through a divorce right now. So any, any of the love teams are, are like, and you know. Sure, man. It's, it's also, yeah. Yeah. it's amazing how one song can have so many different meaning, meanings to different people, depending on where they're at in their personal space at that point. And, and that's what the genius of Robert Hunter was. I mean, it's just, you know, they're exactly what you just said. It is, it just it can mean so many. A good song has that, you know, it has, uh, it can mean different things at different times of people's lives. You know? I'd imagine, you know, you've been, you've been part firmly entrenched in that scene up there for a long time. I'd imagine you have a pretty large group of regulars who have supported you enjoyed, and enjoyed the music over the years. Uh, I am so blessed with all the, all the friends. And we're, we all feel like one big family, you know, and then that's, that's, uh, it's been, it's been wonderful like that. Yeah. And the other part of it too, is there's so many great musicians in New Jersey. Um, you know, it, it just, it just knocks your socks off, you know, um, Jersey shore, you know, I mean, it's famous for Bruce Springsteen and, and that sound, but it, I mean, it has a great blues scene and now it has a great jam band scene, you know? Um, so I just with Solar Circus uh, the day after Jerry died, um, we had a regular gig on the Jersey Shore uh, residency there, and uh, Bruce Springsteen showed up, and and I mean the place was just packed because you know everybody needed to be with fellow Deadheads, and and uh, Bruce was kind enough to get up on stage for and jammed with us for a good forty five minutes that night, and there's actually uh, if you. If you YouTube, uh, if you search uh, Solar Circus and Bruce Springsteen, there's a video of us doing um, Mustang Sally with them. You know, I know wow. my hair was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I never know. I'm going to have to go find that. 
Do you see fresh faces as well? Do you see the youngsters getting turned on to the music in your scene as well? That's the other amazing phenomenon of this whole thing is that, yeah, there's lots of young people. And, and it's really a younger crowd that that supports what's going on. Although there's a lot of folks are, you know, are, are peers also. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's regenerated itself. And, uh, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that's happening all over the country, you know. It's, it's great. I mean, it's going to keep this music alive forever. Well, hey, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you finding some time in your day to come and uh, speak with me and share a little bit about the scene up on the Jersey Shore. And uh, that's Mark Diomede from, uh, I guess we're going to call from the Juggling Sons? Sure, sure, yeah. That's Mark Diomede from the Jersey Shore Dead Community. How's that? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man. All right, man. Well, thank you for being here today and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was my pleasure, Rob. Thank you for right. having me. Take care. That was great, and I want to thank Mark for taking the time out of his day to be here. If you like what you were hearing today and would like to support the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can make a one-time contribution via PayPal or become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month that includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, community hang time, videos from home and on the road, including some old rare DSO footage, and much, much more. You can support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read the blog, or contact me through our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might be listening. Thank you all for your continued support and for helping to spread the word. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, go to Grateful Sweats for subtle dead designs. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy and see for yourself designs that only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with Jed and someone says nice shirt, you know they're on the bus. The cap with a single finger in the air makes its point as well. Now look great on tour with men's and ladies' tees and tanks, caps, pins, and clearance items as low as $5. Get them at www.etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats, where you can click from our sponsor's link at themusicplaystheband.net. My featured guest today is bassist Bob Crawford of the Avid Brothers, and a, a conversation like this one is a big reason why I enjoy doing this podcast so much. Bob and I have never spoken before, and it was a real treat. He's very well-spoken and has a huge passion for history. And as the conversation went on, we found out that we have a whole bunch in common. He's extremely busy and only had a certain amount of time to give me, for which I am most appreciative. Uh, We definitely could have gone on a lot longer, and I'm hoping to get him back again one day and take an even deeper dive into all things Grateful Dead. There was so many questions I had that we just never got to. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with bassist Bob Crawford. Okay, good morning. I am here today with Bob Crawford, bass player for the Avett Brothers, who I am just meeting for the first time. Man, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being here. Big fan of yours, Rob, and I'm glad to be here. Awesome, man. So much. I really appreciate it. So you're home, North Carolina, right? Yes, sir. And in Raleigh? Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're between Raleigh and Chapel Hill. Right on. And how you been staying busy during this insane, insane time we've been dealing with? Well, I mean, I've been extremely busy. Uh, you know, the band is, we just started getting going again. You know, this past, uh, I guess, June, the end of June, we started our year. And it's been a fuller year than I expected it would be. You know, if you would have asked me in March, what I thought 2020 would look like, I would have said that 
well, by the time people get vaccines, we're looking at September. Maybe we'll, if we get September, October, November, and it'll be a great year. It's actually the opposite, right? Like we, we had that brief window in May where things looked like they were really turning around and, and, and we had, because of being outside and the safety that that offers us, um, we've had a great uh, summer and now the hesitation is going inside. Yep. Like that's, we don't know what to do about that. So we're trying to make some decisions about that as we speak. And um, I think we'll do some shows and we won't do others. And it, it's just, uh, we just hope 2022, we can finally get some, uh, some stability. I hear you at the same point. Back in June, we made all these grandiose plans for the fall. We'll do a full indoor tour. We'll start here just like normal. And now we're picking and choosing what's safe to do. Same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also noticed you have a podcast. I do. It's called The Road to Now, and it's a history podcast. And we focus on mainly American history. Um, and it'll be often political history, but we do a lot of, we'll do sports. We did the history of golf. We've done history of NASCAR with Kyle Petty. Um, and so our goal with the road to now is to kind of look at how we got to this moment, whatever the topic, like, you know, how did we get here? Because we know that history is contingent on events and it is, uh, not predictable. Uh, you know, we, we take for granted that we're in the situation we're in, you know, just, it was in, it was inevitable. All things were inevitable, right? Oh, world war two was inevitable. Uh, Vietnam war was inevitable. Um, but, but what you learn when you study history is nothing was inevitable and we can't really predict the future. Historians are terrible, uh, predictors of the future, but we do a good job at trying to piece together the past. Wow, that's great. So you're definitely keeping busy. And I know you have family as well. Yes. Um, you grew up in New Jersey. Yes, sir. Tell me, tell us a little bit how you got started in music. Well, I grew up in New Jersey, so I liked Bruce Springsteen from an early age. Uh, that was kind of went along with the territory. I'm from just outside of Atlantic City, and he was from Asbury Park, and that was almost like 45 minutes away, maybe an hour away. And um, when my sister was a fan, but you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old this year, uh, 84 when born in the USA came out. Uh, I already had some familiarity with him, but uh, I got really, I was really into music at the time uh, being like 13 years old and um just went in full bore and I wanted to play guitar so I could play Bruce Springsteen songs. You know, I started it at born in the USA and I went backwards in his catalog. And the first song I tried to learn was growing up on the guitar. And, uh, and that's really through him is where I, you know, wanted to be in a band and wanted to play music. And also through him is where my music broadened you know, because I would read about him and he was into Roy Orbison was influential for him. So then I'm 15 years old going back and learning about Roy Orbison or, or Elvis or, or um, even in some weird ways, like Peter Gabriel, I got really into Peter. This is before so came out. I got really into Peter Gabriel and I went back into his catalog and worked up from there. And, you know, just, just how it's like from one artist, you can connect and, uh, 
and, and, and find a whole world of music that was kind of unexpected. Just by tracing the history for sure. So did you just pick up a guitar and start teaching yourself? Do you take lessons? No, I, no, I did not. And it took me a long time to learn my mom. You know, I, I was at this age where I wasn't really good at sports and I would come home from school and I, I would just, you know, make a plate of nachos uh, and sit there and watch TV. And, and my mom knew something had to change. So I got, they got me a guitar for Christmas and signed me up for lessons. And that's where, where I started. Yeah. And it wasn't, I didn't just pick it up. Right. You know what I'm but, saying? But, like, but you took it though. I mean, you went, you said you ended up studying in college, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, I did because it was more of a, it was more of a desire than a natural ability. My, my will to learn was superior to my uh, clumsy, uh, just, you know, I just wasn't good, but I was, I was driven. I was right. driven. And so over a period of, of years, I, I got, I became acceptable uh, and then, and have prospered, you know, 20 years of playing bass with the Avid brothers. Well, I can do that. Right. I can do that, you know. So you had you got Peter Gabriel and you mentioned and, and Springsteen, so little Steven and that who were some of the other guitar influences early on? Well, so yeah, and I'm glad you say guitar because I played guitar and up until you know 2000, uh 2001. Uh well, early on it was it was Springsteen, uh David Gilmore was a big a big fan of his style and his tone. And his, um, he can, he can go fast if he needs to, but he's more about the, uh, the, the melodic character of his, of his style right. and is just the, the beauty, you know, even though he's so blues influenced, he, it was, um, he just got this really big, uh, triumphant sound, you know? Yeah. To, to out, out of his guitar. So I, I always, I always loved his work. Um, but I was in a weird place because when I started the same time I started under the influence of Springsteen, I was freshman in high school and then I became under the influence of punk rock. And so it's so weird because I was taking in and I always loved pop music. I mean, you know, growing up, I always loved pop music, uh, but then I was getting this influence of Clash, Ramones, Husker Du, The Damned, The Smiths, like all this other stuff was coming at me. So I think what, as a musician, what saved me or what made me continue on in spite of my lack of ability, natural ability was this punk rock ideal that it didn't matter. Right on. Just, just go for it. Matter. Just right? go for it. That that's so important though, because it you know not only it just informs us as a musician. The more you know, the more the more genres you're into. The more that informs. Not necessarily that you're going to play that way, but in, it informs you psychologically how to approach an instrument. Just knowing all those different genres. Yeah, yeah, and and, and knowing that everyone didn't know what they were doing. Nobody knew what they were doing when they started. You know, right. it's like they they've you know we talk about Jerry Garcia it's like you know he created this own he he created a, a style of his own um by by trying to mimic his the people that he was influenced by but you know it's at some point it was it it was him 
And so we, he kind of created his own style. And I think what punk rock did was give license to everyone to, to, like you said, just kind of jump off and, uh, and just, you know, grip it and rip it as, as they grip say. It and rip it. Usually <laughs> go, I'm a big golfer. So I'm all over that. I'm a big golfer too, Rob. Excellent. I love the, I, I, and again, no natural ability whatsoever. I'm, I'm terrible. Uh, I love it. It's awful, but I don't, and I, I'll, I go through phases with it and I'll spend, uh, you know, do you, do you play on the road all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that, you know, I got a set of clubs they're in the bus Mine too. and I might go three, four days in a row playing Yep. You know, because our listeners here will know that what do we do right in the day? You know, there's, we can be constructive or we can be destructive. I call my golf clubs, my sanity keeper on the road. Absolutely. They are my sanity keeper and I will play every day off and a lot of show days as well. Just I'm a junkie, man. It's, it's a good drug to be addicted to. You know, what's so funny about it though? Uh, you know, but because yeah, you can make progress with music. You can, you can get better, right? <laughs> and you can control. There is a, that you do develop a bit of control and a bit of patience and, and you kind of, you know, when you're learning a song, there are only so many molds out there for, for songs. Right. And so you kind of, the, the more you play, the longer you play, you can be playing a song you've never heard before, but it doesn't take you long to figure out it's going to, this is how this thing's going to move. I'm going to go from this major chord to this minor chord. I'm going to go from the one to the five and all this stuff. Golf. I feel like no matter how much time I spend with it, no matter no matter how much study I put in, I have no control if I'm going to shoot uh, in the 90, in the high 90s, which is like really good for me, or in the, you know, the 110s sure, man. or above. I have no control. It's a fickle mistress, you know, it, 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 I'll, I'll go out one day and shoot 85 and less than 24 hours later, I'll shoot 97. You know, it yeah. just, there's, there's, there is no control at all. And, and then you get in your head, you don't know, we could go on golf all day. I'm sure. Well, I, I yeah. Could. I'll say one last thing about golf. <laughs> I believe it's, it's, it's an MRI. It shows you who you are, right? Oh, yeah. It shows you, it shows you where your trigger points are like emotionally and psychologically and, uh, your the strength of your mind, uh, your endurance. Because when I'm, I'll go through days where I play really bad and I'm ready to break the clubs in half. Um, and then I go through days where I'm playing really bad and I'm like, the victory is finishing. Yes, the victory is finishing. Even if it's a hole, it doesn't like if I'm I'm at seven here on the green. Uh, I don't I don't care. I'm gonna if I survive this, this, this outing, uh, there's a victory in that. So. It, it used to be it was so important. I got to play good. And now it's just, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I'm yeah. just, I'm fortunate to get out there. All right. I'm going to go, let's go straight to it. We, we I, honestly, I should have a golf podcast. Cause I could talk about it all day well, long. Yeah. Um, so how old are you? Where are you? How did you okay. first get turned on to the dead? So there were glimmers of the dead in high school uh so you're talking about we're talking about 87 touch of gray and dark comes out but uh, but even before that i remember being at friends houses and hearing go to heaven uh of course i always knew 
Uncle John's skeletons in the closet. It just kind of classic. I grew up with classic rock radio. So, so, you know, there was that, that was always there. It's, you know, you, there's a time you can't remember a time where you didn't know some of these songs, like sure. the, the skeletons in the closet songs, box of rain, uncle John's band, uh, you know, uh, ripple, um, sugar magnolia. Uh, but then it, it, the turn came probably post touch of gray really where i really got bit by it uh maybe around that time maybe 87 88 where i really got into it and started going to shows uh 90 but then 92 was when i really started going to shows you used first you used the term the turn which i love and then you used the term i got bit by it what was yeah. it? What what bit you, man? What sucked you in? I do I do remember a, a, a day in the waning, oh, the waning of high school. So the waning days of high school, which was probably eighty nine, and you know, friends' parents go out of town, and you hang out at that person's house all weekend, and uh, and listening to, you know, a few albums, probably go to heaven and blues for all, or and just being and not being bit by it yet, but being like this is a great place to be. This is a great vibe. It was just really relaxing. Uh, and, and it wasn't like we were partying so hard. It was, it was none of that. You know, I remember like a Sunday afternoon and just, just hanging out, chilling, sitting in beanbag chairs and just listening and, uh, and just being like, this is, this is, there's something here that's really nice. Um, but, but as far as being bit by it, and I could use the same analogy for, golf and i have uh it th- th- that's when you get rid of all your other cds or your music because you're just going to listen to the dead forever that's all you're going to listen to is the dead because what why, why do you need anything else right. which is kind of silly which which i've you know of course i recant that sure but when you're in that moment that's it but I when get you're it. in that moment yeah yeah you're like you, you know and i remember uh people coming to me uh, years, a few years later, offering me their Nirvana CDs and their Alice in Chains CDs because they had just gotten into the dead. And, you know, so I don't think I ever personally got that extreme, but but that's all I wanted to listen to. And then, Rob, you'll remember back then, it was about finding the bootlegs. Yeah, man. All on which, cassette. Which kids today will take for granted. Sure, they just How, press a button and go to the archive now. Man, you would go to a show. I remember going to the Giant Stadium in '92, and and then in the ensuing weeks trying to find that show, and you know, going here, going there. This guy might have it. This guy might have it. Oh, uh, oh, here's some '77. Because oh, you need a, you need a copy of these '77 shows. These are just incredible. Uh, you know, you know, and just trying to you know f- find shows. And just be, and then being being turned on to once you you get you kind of get bit you get in the door, then you're listening to, to you're beginning to acquire some bootlegs and you're you're saying wow eighty seven with Brent was really different than than uh, than eighty one and this, these things sounded so different and Keith is so different than Brent and uh, you know and then there's this Vince Wilnick stuff and what. Uh, you know, it just just you, you begin to realize that this band had one band, many, many lives. Yes, you know? for sure. You know, and back then, like listening to those cassettes, then people would 
get you know, at first I remember people having the ads in the back of relics looking for cassettes, looking for bootlegs. But a lot of the stuff we would get from the really older stuff, the 60s and the early 70s, it just sounded so bad what we would get that that band wasn't anything I would be into at that moment. Later on, when we start to really hear what they were doing back then and, and hear good quality tapes of that, you're like, oh my God, this is it's a completely different band, equally as impressive, maybe more impressive, but completely uh -huh. different. Well, yeah, because I remember hearing, um, you know, I, I knew that I just knew Bill Kritzman and Mickey Hart were the drummers. <clears throat> and then I remember hearing a bootleg from the very early 70s, maybe the late 60s. And I'm like, man, those guys sound incredible on this. And my friend said, this, this is just Bill. This is just Billy. No, this, no, no. this is before Mickey. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my gosh, he was insane, insane. in that period. Yeah, you know, and sure. and of course, Pigpen. Again, it's a whole different band. We used to always say it was Pigpen's band mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and uh, people can argue about that, but it, it was a different. It was a blues band. It was a different, a different group. Uh, man, was it King Bee? Mm -hmm. Man, so, so I remember discovering King Bee and and some of those uh, covers that he would sing and and just you know, then you have so it's like. It, when you get into it, it's, it's not as it first appears and the deeper you get into it, there's these layers and layers and layers and layers. So you really could spend your whole life uh, with this band. It's a hundred percent. It's interesting to hear you talk about the drummer and the layers and layers. Cause at that point you're a guitar player, but it doesn't sound like necessarily Garcia was the only reason that you were way into the dead. No, but, but once I did get so, so this was the turn. This is like for me playing these more punk influence bands to, to playing, just wanting to play the dead world music, the jam, what we would know today as jam, right. which I did. And so I move. So I slowly make, make my way through college after flunking out of community college uh, <laughs> and then going nine. This is the 92 time period where I'm going to, I'm not saying I'm on the road with the dead, but I'm going every week, right? I'm, I'm to Buffalo. I'm to giant stadium. I'm to RFK. I'm out to Buckeye Lake, Ohio. So I'm, I'm gone a lot. People are starting to worry about me. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking for a lot of time off. Uh, and I quit, you know, I quit school and then I'm working and I'm working at Sizzler and I'm working with this guy who's at goes to the state school in my, in my, in my town. And he says, man, you need to, and he's ahead and we, we go to shows together. We become good friends. And he says, man, man, you need to go back to school. You need to come back to, you need to go to Stockton, you know, Stockton, Richard Stockton College of New Jersey, which is now Stockton University, which is its own podcast probably. Um, but he says, you need to go to Stockton. I was like, well, I can't, I flunked out of community college. I can't get into Stockton. He's like, no, he's like, take one class. You can take one class. I guess what we would say, audit, auditing the class. Right. And then if you do well, you can get on a path to get in. And so on his advice, I take a class, I do good. I take another class, I do okay. And they, they accept me. So I go to college. I ultimately settle into radio and television, which we had no TV department. It was, just, it was all radio. But I get an internship with the local ABC affiliate, well, the Philadelphia ABC affiliate who had an office in South Jersey. 
And the guy I interned for says, you need to, you need to drive South. Cause that's the up and coming. This is 96. Now we're talking about, no, talking about 95, 96. He says, uh, 96. He says, you need to, the Olympics are in Atlanta. You've got to drive South. You got to knock out, knock on doors and you got to hand out resumes. That's how you're going to get in this business. South is the NASCAR banking. The South is the up and coming market. So I pack up my station wagon with, won't say all my possessions, but the ones that mattered the most. And I literally drive South, knock on doors. And I got work in Charlotte, North Carolina doing film production, just like uh, fetching coffee, sweeping floors, painting walls, running errands, that kind of stuff. And I settled down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the local music scene there was so vibrant and rich compared to South Jersey, which, you know, there, we had some places that supported local music, but, but it was just in the South, it just seemed uh, more. There was just more, there were more places to play, more people that, that would go out. Um, and this is the beginning of the jam period, right? The Horde tour is probably starting to kick up now and fish is out there for sure. And, um, I fell in with a bunch of guys there and we had a band room 454, and, and, uh, we, we played jam music, you know, we, we did dead covers and Dylan covers and original songs. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do up until when I, uh, eventually went back to school to study music a couple of years later and then met Scott and Seth. When, when, when you met Scott and Seth, you you had just picked up the bass from what I understand. I mean, you're, the bass was a new instrument for you when you meet Scott and Seth. So at that point is, or Jer- Jerry and Bob, musically speaking, and you've also studied jazz at that point. So it, it are, are Jerry and Bob a bigger influence on your playing than Phil are at that point? You know, whether, whether it's physical or psychological. So R- Rob, you know this, right? The instrument you play is what you hear when you listen to music. Right. It's what jumps out. It's not, it's not, it's like not the only thing you hear, but it's the thing that, it's, that it's what you gravitate towards. Sure. Yeah. And so here I had my whole life hearing guitar, you know, whether it's the rhythm track or the lead track or well, how did they get that? how did they get that, that rhythm? They was that two or three acoustics playing together or, or man, that little solo part here. And they added this little thing here. You know, you're just, you're, you're hearing, you're hearing that instrument. So I didn't start hearing the bass until probably months after I started playing the bass. Wow, man. Well, which leads me to a great, really interesting, in my opinion, question, because with, with, with the Avits, you know, it's, it's an Americana slam, you know, it's, it's Americana music, which I love so much. And you're playing primarily upright, a little bit of electric, but well, majority of upright. Now, now I would say, depending, okay, because uh, for your listeners who don't know, we uh, we have a lot of songs. Yeah. And, and we don't do, now, now, 2021, and I think a lot of fans aren't, weren't really happy about this for a while, but I think they're, 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 they're getting better with it. But, but our decision was, let's not mix up the set list too much because we haven't played for a year and a half. Sure. Makes sense. So, but 
the thing I was always so proud of, or what I, I always felt like this is what we share with the dead because we're, we're not jamming all night. We're playing songs, right? right? We're playing songs, but we always mixed up the set list because we have over a hundred songs that are at least available to struggle through. <laughs> if not 70 or 80 that we can, we can, uh, we can sell as my son would say, I'm going to sell this wrestle. I could sell this wrestling move. He says these days, um, he's like, I can sell that. I could sell that. Uh, but so we could, we can sell a lot of these songs and then there's a smaller bunch, maybe 40 that we can play well on any given night. So <laughs> we always would mix up the set list Pr- pretty. I mean, there are two or three songs we probably play every night, but we would always mix up the set list. Uh, and it got to the, it started out where we made the set list on stage, you know, in, during the show. Right. And then at some point we started making it 20 minutes before the show. Just have a little and, bit more flow to the, to it. Yeah. 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 We began to realize like the dead that we can do this combination of songs. We could do this combination of songs. These work well. We would try that stuff. Right like on. That. So when 2021 hit, we, we said, we haven't, we're not, we haven't been doing a lot of this for, for a while. So let's, let's just kind of keep it stable. Let's sure. get back in the mode of just doing this. And there was a comfort now, now as the years gone on, gotten more comfortable. Now we're mixing it up. Now we're right mixing on. it up. More. But, uh, but, uh, but um, I don't remember why I started talking about this, but the, we were talking about playing electric and, and, and upright. Right. So, um, so, so some, depending on the set list, I could be 50, 50, okay. I could be 60, 40 electric these days. I could be 60, 40 last week. We, I remember there were a couple of shows in a row. I was like, man, I'm, I'm playing the upright all night and that hasn't happened in years. So it's right just on. depending on what's called the, the, the music you guys are playing with purely Americana for lack of a better term on my, if, if that's, I hope I'm not. Uh, I, no, I, that, that, that's what I, that's how I would describe it to someone. So in, in, in the music you're playing, the bass lines, it's a lot of root and fifth, and it's very much on the downbeat. You know, that's the antithesis of Phil's playing. So how do you personally interpret Phil's style? And is there any of that you can bring with you to the stage? So let's think about guitar players who played bass. And now it's been 20 years, so I'm a bass player. <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't play this any. I don't play guitar anymore. So I am a bass player. But for me, loving jam music, loving bluegrass which the bass is very similar to what I play now, but, but loving the lead instrument, it was always hard for me to lay back. Right. That mm-hmm. was always really hard for me. And if you listen to Mignonette, any of our older albums or older recordings, when it was three of us or four of us, um, all over the place. And that was good for that time. And that was me right? Interpreting all the things that influenced me, right? More guitar players than bass players. It's funny. Like, I guess I've never looked, looked this up to confirm it, but I was always told that Stephen Stills played bass in those Crosby, Stills and Nash albums. And if you listen to them, like Sweet Judy Blue Eyes or Carry On or um, the bass is all over the place. It's moving. It just makes sense that a guitar player played this. But what has happened the band has grown from four, three to four to seven to seven, right? More people 
the less you need to do. More people, less space, right? I have grown from 30 to 50 and have matured on an instrument I just started playing, you know, when I started with these guys. Uh, And so rather than me, like I used to try to fit as much of the fill influence as I could into what I was doing with those guys, just the movement. And it, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. What I have come over the past, I'd say four years to accept and love. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, I'm actually loving it is trying to just put all that away. I want to play obviously what's suitable for the song, but I want to be selective where I move. Uh, I want to be selective with my fills. I want to play long notes that hold, that sustain. I want to blend notes into other notes. That's the trick. Uh, And that's just kind of created me to be much more relaxed on stage. Is a lot of that then just like hitting on the one and letting that hold for the whole bar? It could, it it could be. Yeah, it could be. And think about no hard feelings. That's all you need to do. Right. Sure. That's all you need to do. I remember watching John Prine play. We were so fortunate to play a few shows with him and talking to his bass player. And after one of the shows and the realization that I kind of came away with, people are coming to hear these words. They're coming now, 20 years in, you know, in 2003, it was about shaking your butt on stage, spinning the bass. Everybody's jumping up and down, rolling around on the ground, picking the bass up over my head. We're just sweating. It's like going out there and trying to run a sprint for two hours. Right. I think now, and I watch Willie again, being so fortunate to watch Willie and his band, you know, night after night play. And it's about letting the songs kind of take the lead. That's, that's a, that's a beautiful, just natural maturation process. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Are are, are any of your bandmates big dead fans? They have grown to be greater appreciators of the dead. Is that because of you? I don't, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to some extent it is, uh, but I think years ago we did, and this was one of my top five things we ever did. We did a Jerry Garcia tribute. Uh, with Warren Haynes and we basically folded him into our band. We did, uh, we recreated a Jerry Garcia show and we were offered to, somebody came to us to do that. And the the guys did it because of me, for me, because of me. And we made charts. We like found the the versions of the songs that we were going to interpret. And they, we made charts. We made books, like songbook. We've not done this for our own record. We've only done this. We've done it minimally. <laughs> for our own. But we we invested from August. We played in like the end of October or September. No, like end of October. And we played at George Mason was where we did the show. And we started rehearsing in August. We would do just wow. Jerry, 
Jerry rehearsals. And these guys took it so seriously. And for a while, we, we folded some of those songs into our sets, like forever young. We played for a year mission in the rain. Oh yeah. We played for a year or two. And I still believe like, I don't know if the deads plays that song. I don't know if anybody plays that song right now. I feel like we should be like, that's, that's this, we should own that. Like meaning like own it as in have it be a standard of our repertoire and, and it, maybe it'll come back at some point. It's one of my favorites to play for sure. We don't get to play it that often, but I love yeah, it. Yeah. So, so, um, so those guys have a, and then on their own, they've grown a deeper appreciation for the dead. So do you guys ever have a chance? I mean, obviously not during shows, but it's sound checks or rehearsals. Do y'all ever just let it go and take it out and jam? Rarely. Hey, have you got them to that point yet? Where you just, I, I push, I push and I push and I push. And... <laughs> so sometimes it comes up in the weirdest, like on stage, it comes up like in the weirdest places where we'll do things. I think they're more prone to do it nowadays. Uh, and then there'll be some things we've, we've added expansions. Like we have a song called another is waiting. And there's like a, a kind of a chord progression breakdown that gets kind of jammy. And that came post garcia stuff or around that same time so i think that i think that influence was in there um, that's beautiful man yeah uh, yeah and i saw i saw a video i was looking around and i saw that you took you took your cello player joe to fairly well and that's quite a departure for him he's totally not from this this realm of music what no, was that like? it, it was so good i'm so glad we got to do at first i'm glad we got to go and it was kind of a thing where it was last minute getting tickets was hard and there's a whole story of getting him the ticket, you know, the, like, cause he said like the day before he's like, ah, I think I want to go to that. And so we, we had to put, we had to, uh, we had to go through some machinations to get tickets to, to get him a ticket. And it was, it was so, it was like, uh, that's how those experiences come together. Right. Like you just, you can never imagine uh, how that experience will come together. And it did. And he, he just loved it. And I'm glad he got to get that experience. You're, you're, you're in your happy place at that point. You're getting to go back to this and you're taking someone with you. Who's never seen anything like that. And it's 70,000 people, 70,000 people. (laughs) Yeah. Did did that, do you feel like, did that change his uh, perspective on the whole rock and roll, the jam band thing? He grew up classical music. He didn't, he wasn't listening to rock and roll when he was a teenager. He wasn't, I mean, he came into all that stuff in college at the, at the earliest and a lot of it he's learned with us. And so, yeah, that was a, a mind blowing, uh, uh, experience for him. Yeah. It was great. So beautiful. Never so forget beautiful. it. <laughs> um, let's talk about songwriting for a minute. Uh, sure. you released, you released a solo album in 2006 and you've got credits all over the Avit catalog. I know this is going to just probably take up the rest of our time, which I hope it doesn't. Cause I got more I want to ask you, but your impressions, your impressions of Hunter and Barlow. Oh, gee whiz, man. I mean, the short version, (laughs) the the short version is uh, Hunter is the classic American song. He's he is in the songbook. Like if you like bluegrass music or it's like folk music, bluegrass music, I I would say folk music somewhere where they meet old time music. You know, there is this classic songbook, right? That's, am I saying it's like an official book, oh. but there is like what we would call the American songbook yes. and going from Stephen Foster in the 19th century. Uh, you know, he wrote, uh, I dream of genie with the light brown hair and, and, uh, hard times and, um, 
these songs that we just, again, you don't know, you know, you watch Bugs Bunny cartoons and you're introduced to them, right. you know, so they were around in the forties or fifties or whatever it was, but they were around in the 1850s, you know, and, and, and beyond. But so, and then through to the early 20th century and jazz, early American jazz. And there is this like American songbook and Hunter is in that he's in those he wrote in those pages he's clearly influenced by that in his writing what's interesting about barlow is his and his biography is there's john barlow with the grateful dead there's john barlow internet pioneer i know it's crazy isn't it? and if i would say to your listeners pick up a book called these truths by Jill Lepore, and you will get a American history from Columbus to Trump. And you get two thirds, maybe a little further in that book. And John Perry Barlow, internet pioneer who wrote the declaration of digital independence, the, 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 the worldwide web declaration of independence, uh, he plays a big part with Newt Gingrich in the internet that we have today and all that's going on. And I don't know that he intended it to be like it is, but, but he's one of the forefathers of the digital age. And it's yeah. just so, it's so crazy. Uh, it's, it's insane. So, but his songs, you know, they're different than, uh, than hunters and, they're sometimes, I mean, I, I, like throwing stones is, is an example uh, where you have just the, um, the historical knowledge uh, with the activism and then with the color of the, of the, the color of the music. It's, it's just insane. It's, they're, they're just very different. You know, sometimes you get into your Barlow moods, you know, and it's more brooding and it's more, uh, the individual against the world kind of thing, yeah. black-throated wind. Uh, thinking of uh, you know, um, you know, hell in a bucket, right? That's that's him. Uh, you know, a lot of those Bobby songs. It's just a different. I, I don't know, but I, I do. I do beg of your listeners to study his biography, and I think he wrote a book maybe before he passed. Well, there's a book about him that came out. Uh, so really study Barlow because he's he's a really interesting figure. Right on. In my opinion, my personal opinion, one of the coolest things about our job as, as musicians is our collaboration with other artists. And for me personally, many of them have been with heroes of mine. You know, how did I these these how did I get here moments? These, oh my God. And and you, you guys, the Abits have had numerous opportunities to collaborate with Bobby. Um, how did that come about, first of all? We were playing Warren Haynes's festival. Mountain Jam. Mo Mountain Jam. Yeah. And he was playing. And he liked us. And I don't know who made the ask. Maybe it maybe Paul Lohr, maybe our booking agent. But it was uh communications were passed between camps and he said he would be happy to do something. And we did 
Merle Haggard's California Blues, which was so perfect. Like that's where we meet. Right. Our, our, sure. You know, that's where we meet. I think he was really excited to do that with us. I think he was really like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a and, dead song. Let's go do something no. different. Yeah. And then we did uh, races on. Nice. Uh, and maybe we did one more. And he maybe go, he played go to sleep with us. Our song go to sleep. So that might've been our first, I might be leaving one out, but that was our first experience together. And then the next one was red rocks. And we did uncle John's band. I saw that video. It was awesome. And we learned again, that was like for our camp, that was, um, we got in the woodshed on that. And he, I think he was impressed that we got on the woodshed you know, that we put the time into it. Like, and we did that and we did, oh, it was so awesome. Uh, we did going down the road, feeling bad, which we always did, which that was one of our, one of one that we always played, like going back to the earliest days uh, differently. Um, uh, so, and then we, maybe we did something else. And then at what's the big thing they do in Virginia, uh, the big oh, festival. Locking, locking. Yeah. Pete's thing. Um, so we did lock in and we did, and that was great. Cause we did one of those trailer rehearsals where we got <laughs> in one of those trailers and he told these stories and like, I don't know where, where it made him think about this story. <laughs> he told this great story and we, and then we did masterpiece, which is another thing that we, we play. We used to do one of my favorites. That's a, that's a song I could play every night and not get sick oh, of it. Me too. Me yeah. too. And, uh, and maybe we did Uncle John's for that too. Yeah. So it was great. It, it, you know, these are Rob, these are the things that like they're not the the record on the wall, like the the gold record, and they're not the Grammy, and they're not like the high profile thing. But I, I'm convinced that these are the things that you're gonna that that we'll will carry with us that will mean more, I think, in the long run. They don't make or break your career, but they but they, they mean so much for sure. I mean, I, you can't see it, but this picture right back here, there's a bunch of them, but there's a picture back there. I mean, I live in St. Louis of me playing with Chuck Berry. Now oh that gosh. meant nothing. It was at a local bar, but I it sat, meant everything, <laughs> but Chuck, exactly. But Chuck Berry sat in with my band. Didn't tell us what we're doing. Didn't tell us a key just starts a song. That's, that's something I will hold forever. You know, all forever. of those moments. For, so I'm sure that was amazing for you, the guys in the band, but for you personally, was. but for you personally, I had to yeah. Be- Cause I would remember walking outside giant stadium, doing laps, trying to get a ticket. Right. And now here you are and I'm this, right next to the guy. And this he's singing on my mic. Right. I saw in one of the videos you were playing fiddle on something on one of the songs. Yeah. That you oh, guys did. So he invited us at red rocks to come out a few of us and me and Joe. Was Tanya with us? Maybe Tanya was with us, our fiddle player now. And we came out and played on Franklin's Tower. It, she was. There was two fiddles on stage. Yeah, I saw that. Well, yeah. On the Franklin's. How cool, man. And again, like the like the early days with the Ava brothers on bass, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but it didn't matter. But there it is. And now it's there for the whole world to see on YouTube, there man. Is, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, I, I can't thank you enough. There's so much more I want to ask you, but I know you're pressed for time. But before I let you go, I do sure. this with all I do this with all my guests. Okay. You, you don't have to think too hard, just a quick lightning round of questions. Okay, let's all do right. it. Uh first Grateful Dead show. Oh, uh that was 92. 
That was Giant Stadium. All right. Favorite Grateful Dead show. Doesn't have to be one you went to, just your favorite show. No, but it was. It was, uh, remember in 93, they did the nine nights or nine nights at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, I went to three of those. And uh, so I went to like two and three and then like six or seven, the number two or three, six or seven. Um, And they did the last one I went to, they did Sane of Circumstance and uh, Lost Sailor saying the same circumstance, and uh, that was always my favorite. Another one of my favorites to listen to and to play. That's a yeah. great one to play. Yes. Um, studio recordings or live recordings? Oh man, I go back and forth. Like people write, people trash the Grateful Dead studio recordings. They're not known for being these sonic achievements. Why? Why? I don't. I don't get it. What did you? What did you expect? Like, again, it's, and I think the Ava brothers, we share this where the live thing and this, it's like two different animals. Right. One is, one is art. One is art in motion. Beautiful. You know, you know, they're, they're two different things. So I love go to heaven. I love shakedown street. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no, no. I like, no need to I, apologize. I hate tweet at me, whatever. I like, I like built to last. I enjoy listening to built to last. I mean, I haven't done it for a while. You know, I think of, a lot of the things people didn't dig was the overproduction, you know, to them, yeah. to so many of these people, the dead is what they learned on stage for and some reason. Sound. And then it's overproduced in their mind when well, they hear it on the video, on the but, studio versions. And blues for all is, is, is like this epic, right. But for some reason that period of go to heaven and shakedown street and maybe Terrapin station, those records. I love, I love wake of the flood. Is that the name of that album with a uh, here comes sunshine? Mm-hmm. I love, right. I, I love that. So yeah, you know, I, I, I like, they're both, they're, they're just two different things. All right. Well, the next question is going to put you on the spot. Which one of those okay. is your favorite? What's your favorite dead album? Favorites don't exist. I don't, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't say, I just can't say I, maybe Terrapin station. I don't know. Uh, what what is today? Oh, it's Monday. Well, then it must be <laughs> right. You know. Well, then you're never going to answer this next one because it's it's the the Desert Island album, your favorite non Grateful Dead uh, album. The one album oh, you take okay. with you if you're on a dead. That one album you take with you to the Desert Island. Might have to be Dylan. Dylan. All right. It might have to be Blood on the Tracks or Desire. All right. Some people can't answer. I, I appreciate that. And some people I, take wait. minutes and minutes. I can't, but it depends what day I'm stranded. So right, well, today's Monday. So, uh, I'll say, I'll say, uh, I'll say it's it's a desire. I'll say it's desire today. First job. First job. Uh, gross bag and groceries at Shoprite in Ventnor, New Jersey. Favorite color. Favorite color blue. Favorite venue to play. Red Rocks. Standard answer. Everybody, yeah. everybody. It's yeah. impossible. I, and I think it's it's becoming. I'm I'm gonna move off of that just because it's been so many years. I'm, I have to start saying something else because I love the Greek in Berkeley as well. There's that energy of Red Rocks film, and I watched your guys' little documentary about your Red Rocks experience. Amazing, and that's everybody. You know, I'm watching you walk in. And I'm like, I had that experience when I walked yeah. in the same spot. It's just something about it. Best city for a day off. Mm, Burlington, Vermont was nice. Mm. It's been a nice day off there. Uh, Kansas City. Kansas City's great. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll, if we're in that part of the country and we've got a day off, you know, and it roots well, we'll go to Kansas City. Uh, great art museum in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, also enjoy Portland, Oregon. Also Washington, D.C. A lot of friends in D.C. 
right? And anywhere with a good golf course. That's a, that's always a good one too. See, that's what's be, that that is what's happening now. Like that's changing because I'll wake up now. I look in the bus. I see here. I'm at the venue. Where's my nearest golf course? Golf do it if, every day, man. And in Burlington, there's a great one. So you got you got Burlington. You tell me about that. You got so, Vermont National there, so you're you're in good shape. Rob, we need to come up with uh, some kind of a club where we make where well, we 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 play golf together, obviously, but we get country clubs and private clubs to let us play golf when we're in their towns. I always wear because a golf sometimes hat. your own. Wear a golf hat when you're not on stage, man. Now I'm out in public a lot more than you are when you're off stage because yeah. it's a little bit harder for you guys. But I'll be in a golf hat in a restaurant or something. Oh, you're a golfer? I'm like, yeah. Well, I'm a member at Wingfoot. Can I take you out? Like, yes. You know, so I've, I've yes. become friends with a lot of fans who take me to their clubs to play golf. I I had and this happened to me recently in Philadelphia, and it was amazing, amazing experience. Um, uh, I, I have done the thing where you call the place and you say, I'm in the Avid brothers and we're playing at da, da, da. And can I come play? And they say, no members only. And I don't know what the Avid brothers are, who you are. And I really I don't, don't have care the balls to do it, man. People tell me to do that all the time. And I I've done it. I've done it. Well, I've, I've been hit down, so I won't do it again. Probably. But. <laughs> first car, first car, uh, Pontiac T1000 current car chevy uh colorado pickup truck book i'm reading oh i'm reading a great book by peter canellis peter canellis and it is uh the life of of john marshall harlan who was a supreme court justice during the gilded age and he's known as the great dissenter because he at this period where all these uh laws were rolling back the rights for freed blacks, he was dissenting. He was like the lone, often the lone dissenter. And he would write these great dissents that became the pro the, the, the map for the modern civil rights movement. Wow. Very cool. And any magazine subscriptions? Christianity today. Uh, I have subscribed to relics. I don't currently. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. And as we start getting back to normal and we've been going up and down, we're getting towards normal. We're backing up. We're getting towards normal. We're backing up. Once this is all over, what's the, what's the one thing you are looking most forward to with this, with the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I don't, I don't eat, eat inside. We don't eat inside. Like I'll eat. Cause my daughter, she's, she's a cancer survivor, three-time right. cancer survivor. And so we only will eat outside. Um, and I miss just it being raining out and being able to go into a restaurant. And I know many people are eating inside and I'm, I'm triple vaxxed. I got my booster last week and, and uh, I still won't, I still will not eat a meal inside. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I miss my wife and I going on a date and going inside somewhere and having, you're not alone. My wife has uh, got severe asthma and we have two children under 12 who aren't vaccinated yet. So we haven't eaten. And we just, we just actually got my wife for the first time. I think we went finally went and sat outside of the restaurant. Now I do that. But it was the yeah. first time the wife and the kids had done it just recently. Yeah. So we're getting there. Well, hey, I, I kept you a couple minutes late. I know you got somewhere to be, but I cannot yeah. thank you enough for doing this. This has been I, we, we could talk for hours. Not we even could. About, you, we go to golf, man. We'll just let's do we'll, it. I hope I hope our paths cross and we can get out on a course and have a good talk and play some golf together. If you if we see our paths crossing, let's make this happen. Let's go out there and hack hack it 18. <laughs> That is the key word there, man. Hack. 
All right, folks, that was Bob Crawford from the Avett Brothers again, man. Thank you for being here. Have a great day. Pleasure. Best to you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that one. I certainly did. And that will bring us to the end of another episode. And I would very much like to thank Bob Crawford and Mark Diomede for being here today. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider becoming a patron with subscriptions as low as $5 a month that offer some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back in two weeks with episode number 23. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We really need to keep things going in the right direction, and we got to take care of everybody, not just ourselves. Thanks for being here. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar... You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. Fantasy Points.